So I um, spent my first year of college at a Lutheran Bible school here in the Twin Cities. And I went to this Bible school, and I was in a class with our professor, and he was teaching us about the concept of grace, teaching us that grace is what God gives us, grace is his love that he gives us apart from anything that we do. His grace is actually contrary to our works, something we can't earn. No matter what we do, we cannot earn it. And I believed that as I was sitting in this classroom, that it became clear to me for the first time what grace was. I had this experience where I felt different, where I thought differently, where I actually, this is the part that intrigues me, I started to act differently after I experienced that grace. I was like a new person. And I'm sure that a lot of you have had that experience in your life. I'm sure that some of you might have not had that experience yet. But the point I want to make is that there's this mysterious relationship between experiencing God's grace and our life's changing. And I want to ask you to think about that. What is the relationship between God's grace and the way you live? Is, is there a connection there? Are those, are those two separate things? Is being forgiven by God different from living for God day by day? How do, do you have to live differently if you've, if you've accepted the grace of God? I know those questions puzzled me for a long time. And I think that our text today is going to help answer those questions. So last week, Pastor Sam taught from Ephesians 2, 1 through 7. And he taught about the grace of God that brought us from death back to life. And I think that's so important to keep that in our minds as we think about this text. That he said, God didn't come to save bad people. God didn't come to save sick people. He came to save dead people. And so I think the picture that we often have in our minds is, oh, we're swimming in the ocean, calling out for help, and Jesus comes, and, and he throws us a life preserver. And we, we take hold of that, and we're saved. And the Bible's saying, that is not what happened. You were dead on the bottom of the ocean when Jesus found you. You were dead, and he dove in, and he came down to you, and he rescued you. And if you look at the verses we're in, Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 11, what you'll find is that there's a word at the beginning and the end of the passage that shows us that we're in one unit of Scripture together. And if you read Ephesians 2, 1, um, I'm going to read out of the ESV right now, even though I'm going to preach out of the NIV, just because it makes this word clearer. It says, And you are dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. See that word walk? That's the way we were walking. We were on a journey to death and destruction. We were on a journey to judgment. We were sinning. That's the way that we lived. So we lived in a way that was like the way we were going to end up. But then God came. That was the sermon last week. But God. And then as we get to the end of the passage, what do we see? In verse 10. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. 
after God intervenes in our lives, we walk in a new way. After God intervenes in our lives, we're on a new journey to a new place. We're walking on a new road. We're living in a new way. Your actions change, your feelings change, and your destination changes. That's where we started and that's where we end, and they're different because God intervened in our lives. Let's keep pushing into this point. The main takeaway that I have for you today, if you just want to go away with one sentence to remember, is that grace alone saves you, but is never alone. Grace alone saves you, but grace is never alone. And we're just going to unpack that point in two simple points. The two points are saved by grace and prepared for worse. Saved by grace and prepared for worse. So let's talk about point one. Saved by grace. That's what this passage says. For by grace you have been saved. And that's, it's one of the most famous phrases in the Bible. By grace you have been saved. And I think that a lot of us who are really religious and hear that word a lot, like, forget what it means. Like, we think, oh, like, we hear it use grace, 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 and it's like, well, what, what exactly are we talking about? Or maybe you're here and you, you haven't, don't have much of a religious background, and you might not know what that word means either. I think there's a simple acronym that helps to remember what it is. It just uses the letters of the word, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches at Christ's expense. So you see what it's saying. It's saying we deserve one thing and we got the other. We deserve death and we got life. So Jesus, when he came, he deserved God's love. He deserved God's favor. He got God's judgment. He suffered the way Ross deserved to suffer for the things that he did. And because he suffered the way I deserve to suffer, now I don't have to end up that way. And so it's, we have this, I think, thought that, oh, God just gives us things for free, which is true. But there's a price. There's no such thing as cheap grace. Whenever we're talking about grace, it's not this warm, bubbly, like, oh, I kind of like you thing. It's actually a weighty thing because Jesus had to die for God to treat us the way he did because he's a holy God. And a holy God cannot be mistreated the way we mistreat him unless there's a substitute who comes and takes away our sin and makes a way for God to love us. That's what grace is talking about. Grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. And then the next phrase of the verse says, it's received through faith. It's received through faith. So grace is what we get. Grace is the gift that God gives us. Faith is the way that we receive it. And I need to be very clear about something. Not everyone gets God's grace. Only those who have faith get God's grace. And so if you're sitting here this morning and you actually don't have faith, if you don't trust God, I'm sorry, but God's grace is not for you. And I really, I, I encourage you, don't leave this room if you don't have faith. Don't go out because who knows what's going to happen? Who knows how many days you have left on this earth? If you don't have faith, if that doesn't characterize with you, then I need you to come up and talk with me or any of the other leaders or their wives after the service. Because if God's grace is the best, most richest, beautiful thing that there is, and anyone can have it if you believe. But you have to believe. You have to trust. No one just gets it automatically. There's no shoe-ins. 
God only saves those who trust in him. Now, what is faith? What is faith, and why did God choose faith to save people? Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 4, verses 4 through 5. He says, Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. So what faith is, is an attitude of receiving. Faith is an attitude of receiving something, and it is the polar opposite of works. The way God made his grace come to us is the polar opposite of anything that you can do to earn it, which is so contrary to the way that we're wired. I'm wired to want to earn stuff. I want to have, the stuff I have, I want to say, I earned it. I deserve this. I can't say that about grace. If you want to earn grace, you can't. You can't have it. I'm sorry. You can't have it if you want to earn it. But if you'll receive it as a free gift, then it's yours. God completely undermines any way you could ever earn it on your own. He completely says you can't have this unless you receive it as a gift. And some of you might even say, well, well I believed. Like, that's, that's what I did. That's the work I did. I, I believed in God. Uh, that's the work. Other people didn't do that work, and I did that work. And I want to say, just try that at your job and see how that works out. Like, like, show up to your job, and maybe your job is like you sweep floors and you get $15 an hour. And, right, so you sweep the floors, and when you're done sweeping the floors, the boss pays you your money. That's how it works. Okay, but instead, this time you show up to work, and you just stand there. You don't sweep the floors or mop the floors or whatever you do. You just stand there. And your boss says, well, what, are you, what are you doing? And you say to him, well, I'm just, I'm just trusting you to pay me. I'm, just, I'm, I'm trusting in you. And you just say, no. No, get out of here. No, you're fired. You, you, you're not allowed to do that. And, and we can clearly see that, that faith isn't a work. Faith is opposite of working. Faith is actually resting. That's the word the scripture uses to define faith is resting. So are you resting in Jesus today? Because if you're working for his love, if you're working for his affection, if you're trying to show him the things that you have done, it's not going to work. That's not how you receive grace. So the reason that it's like this, the reason that God decided to do it like this is so that he would get all the glory. You see that in the text? It says, for by grace he has saved us through faith, and this is not of yourselves, it is the free gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So in, when God rescued us, Jesus came down from heaven. What do we contribute to that? Nothing. Jesus lived a perfect life. What do we contribute to that? Nothing. Jesus died on the cross what did you contribute to that? Just your sin. That, 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 was, that was my contribution. I contributed my sin to Jesus' death. And then he rises from the dead. And so because he did it all, he gets all the glory. When you're trusting in Jesus, you're giving him all the glory and not yourself. And I know for some of you, that's going to be a wonderful feeling. Because some of you feel like, wow, I... I can't do it on my own. I feel crushed by guilt. I feel like God will never accept me. I feel worthless. And he's saying, it's not even about you. Like, I did it all for you. And that's going to be freeing for you. And for some of you, 
That's going to be hard because, like me, you may be wired like, oh, I, I can just perform good enough to get God's grace. I can do it. I can do it. And he's saying, no, you can't do it. I give it as a free gift because my son Jesus is worthy of all the glory. And the only way he's going to save people is if he gets all the glory. And so you will be rescued. You'll be saved. You'll be loved. You'll be protected by him. But he'll get all the glory. And so I just want to invite anyone today who's okay with Jesus getting all the glory, who wants Jesus all, to have all the glory, just to put your trust in him if you never have. Or put your trust in him right now afresh. Renew your trust in him. Because he has died so that we can have his grace. He has died so that he can save us. I just want to finish my story of when I was at Bible school. One thing that the professor kept saying is he made this statement. He said, there is nothing you can do to make God love you more. And there is nothing you can do to make God love you less. That's how he captured grace. And that thought rocked me. I mean, if you think about it, that's a radical, scandalous statement. Because I can think of my past, right? All the wicked things I did, all the things that I've done that don't deserve God's grace, they're gone. I'm at the same footing as someone who maybe lived a much better life than me, who maybe did deserve God's love more than me. But it doesn't matter. That's because grace wipes all those things off. Grace says, I don't care what you did. I care what Jesus did. That's what grace says. But then it goes further because grace also saves us no matter what we do. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more or less in the future either. Like, do you really believe that? Like, anything you do can't make God love you less. Anything you do can't make him feel any differently about you. And of course, some of you feel uncomfortable right now because you're saying, Ross, you're saying I can just live however I want and God will just love me just the same? Like, I can literally just do whatever I want and God will feel just the same way about me? Like, isn't that kind of like a heresy or something? And I'll say, good. Like, if you get there, you understand grace. Because if you remember in Romans 6, Paul says, shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? So right after he's done talking about grace, he brings up that objection. And so he expects grace to be this scandalous concept that we have trouble with, like it's so radical we have trouble with it, that we're like, when we think about the implications of it, we're like, whoa, like could it really be what it is? And I'll say, you haven't understood grace until you think that, until you think, could this really be real? You haven't understood grace until it's blown your mind and it's beyond what you expected that it possibly could have been. But that's not where these verses end. It's so curious. Because the next things they say is, it is not of yourselves, it is the free gift of God, and it's not by works so that no one may boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand for us to do. It's like, what? Like, what are you doing, Paul? Like, you just make a statement that says your works don't matter. And he says it again and again and again. It's not by works. Not of yourselves. It's irrelevant what you've done. And then he just goes in the very next sentence and says, but I've prepared you for works. Not works that he hopes you would do. Not works that he commanded you to do. 
but literally works that he predestined for you to do. Like he plotted out good works for you to do. And Paul feels comfortable enough to say that in the very next sentence. To say you're saved without works, you're saved apart, apart from works, and nothing you can do can change the fact that God loves you if you just trust in him. And he prepared you for good works. And I think this thought makes sense because it makes sense to think that God had a plan when he saved us. Like, did God just, like, save us and not even consider what would happen the next day or 10 days or 10 years from now? Like, did he just rescue us and think, yeah, I don't really care how they live. I don't care what happens to them. I mean, even look at the language. It says we're his handiwork and we're created in Christ Jesus. Like, remember how God made Adam? He fashioned him together out of the clay. Like, it kind of reminds me of a pot. Like, an artist carefully sculpting and creating a pot. That's more what God's salvation is like for you. It wasn't something that he just did willy-nilly and just like, go, go live however you want now that I saved you. No, that's the beginning. The salvation is the beginning of him starting to form you into a beautiful artwork that he's creating. Before, because of our sin, we're broken pots, disgusting pots, and we're not, we're not the thing that reflects Jesus. But then once God saves us, he starts the process of forming us into the beautiful thing that he wants us to be. And so if you're like me, you need a, we need to start to do something because I tend to peel apart my salvation and my good works in my head and think, oh, salvation is what God does and good works is what I do. Like that's, that's the thought I have in my head. And this text says, absolutely not. Those things are in lockstep with each other. My grace is bigger than you thought, is what God says. My grace is bigger than what you thought. You thought it was just forgiving your sins, but it's actually your whole life lived after that. It's actually every day the good things that I prepared for you to do is my grace. And so let's not have that small view of grace that limits it just to being forgiven of our sins and doesn't take into account all of the beautiful things that God's prepared for us to do. Let's have bigger views of God's grace. And I just want to point your attention now to Titus chapter 2, verses 14. I think this is a verse that really captures what I'm trying to say. This is what Paul says in Titus chapter 2, verse 14. Jesus gave himself to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. That's what the grace of God does. It makes us eager to do what is good. And just a quick parenthetical statement before I keep going. I think a lot of us misunderstand what good works are. Like, we think, we think of good works as, like, old-fashioned morality. Like, I, I have a grandma, and she's a wonderful lady, and she likes to talk to me about her childhood. And she, she says, like, Ross, when I was your age, you know, I didn't smoke or drink or chew or go with guys who do. And I was like... <laughs> And I was like, oh, yeah. And, and, and I think that's where we get caught up in thinking that good works is just being like a good moral person and it's just kind of a boring thing. But that's just not the case. Because the Bible says that when you become a Christian, your allegiance changes. It does a 180. You were serving Satan. You were serving flesh. You were serving not God. And you go to serving God. So every time you do a good work, every time you obey God, you're living in defiance. 
You're living in defiance of your old nature that wants you to do the things you used to do. You're living in defiance of the culture who just says, indulge yourself, just to be yourself and do whatever you want. And you're doing a good work and say, I'm not, you're not my boss anymore. Like, you are not my boss anymore. And Satan, who certainly doesn't want you to do good works, you are defying him. It's actually the opposite way. If you're not doing good works, then you're, you know, your old nature is telling you what to do, and you're not even fighting against it. You're just like a zombie, just doing all these old habits that take no effort to do, that no one's telling you not to do. And God is saying, I came into your life, I changed you, and now every act of obedience— whether it's going across the oceans to tell another people group about me or loving your neighbor down the block or taking care of your baby or telling someone about Jesus, that is an act of honoring me and loving me and there's a war waging in your heart right now and every time that you do that, you're winning the war and you're glorifying me from the acceptance that you already have. You're never earning my love by doing that. You're never earning my acceptance from doing that, but you're showing the world, that I am more valuable than anything else. Now, I want to, um, there's a movie that I really like. Um, not sure I'd recommend it. <laughs> it's, it's rated R, but it depicts the Christian life really well. It's, uh, it's, called, it's called The Matrix. I'm sure a lot of you have seen The Matrix. And in this movie, there's this guy who, um, well, machine, evil machines had, like, taken over the world. And they'd actually put this computer program in everyone's mind that actually makes them believe that that hadn't happened. And so there's a few humans, a few people who had woken up, and they knew the truth. And they're fighting against the machines. And there's this guy named Neo, and he's like the chosen one, the chosen one who can do good works, fight against the machines, and free people. And so what they do is they go in and they take him out of this computer program and they rescue him. And so now he's free, now he's aware of what's going on, and now he's able to fight. He's able to fulfill his purpose. He's able to do what they brought him out to do. Can you imagine if he just, like, kicked back in his easy chair and was like, hey, I'm alive. Like, I don't care. Like, I'm not going to go do stuff. Like, thanks for, thanks for making me alive. His companions would be like, dude, what are you doing? Like, why do you think we brought you back? Do you think we were just doing that for no purpose? Like, the reason you're here is because we had a purpose for bringing you back so that you could do these things. And I wonder how many of us are living like that right now, where we're brought back, but we're acting like God didn't bring us back for a reason. Are you living like that? Like, there's no reason that God made you alive? Are you living like he didn't prepare good works for you to do? I have, I have good news for you. God planned good works for you to do before the foundation of the world. Isn't that good news? God prepared good works for you to do before the foundation of the world. And one of the reasons he died on the cross, like he went through all that effort, all that sacrifice, was so that you would do them. Like what, a plan, what an exciting life to live. You can wake up in the morning and think, God has a plan for me today. God who made this world has a plan for me today. And how can we believe that that's not the case? How can we live like that's not the case when he went so far to save us so that we would live like that? And so we really need to have a mind change. I need to have a mind change. 
Because we, tra- we taught through election, and, and Neil, he was, he was a chosen one, right? He was a chosen one, and he was chosen to do specific things. And in Ephesians 1.4, we read that we're chosen ones in Jesus. Not in ourselves. In Jesus, we're chosen because of our relationship to him. And we're chosen not just to know him, but to live in a new way. Look at Ephesians 1.4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So, yes, it's a relationship with him. Yes, it's a new life with him. But it's a new life that's characterized by doing new deeds, and you're doing those new deeds with him. Like, we, I love getting together with guys and doing things with them. Well, what can you do with God? What can you get together and, God, and do with God? You can love other people with his power. You can love other people. You can put your sin to death with him. Those are things that you do with God. That's what he wants this relationship to be about, is about a new kind of person that you're being. So let's not disconnect those things in our minds. Let's hold them tightly together. So going back to our verses, Ephesians 2.10 says, We were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And I suppose that some other people here might think, well, Ross, if, if I was created for those good works and God predestined me to do them, then I can just sit back because they'll just happen, right? Like, if God planned for them to happen, they'll just happen. Now, see, that's the wrong mindset. He did not share that information with us so that we would sit back and not do them. He shared that information with us that he planned to do them because he knew they're hard. It's hard to love other people. It's hard to say no to sin when you're depressed or when you're alone. Like, I know that sometimes temptation is so tough that it feels crushing. And I know some of you right now feel like you're stuck in sins that you just can't get away from. And he knows it's tough, and he's saying that you're going to win so that you'll have confidence to do it. I feel like so many of us, including myself, will sit back and not try things because I'm afraid of failure. Like, oh, if I do that, I'll fail. Or if I try this, I'll fail. And I think sometimes we even give in to sin because of that. I, I just really, I always give in. Why would I hold out? I just always give in. Or I'm not going to go try to love this guy. I always end up screwing up the relationship. I always end up saying the wrong thing. Like, I'm not even going to try. I'm just not going to do it. And this text is saying, hey, God planned for you to do that. God planned for you to do that. I read this other pastor, and, and he was talking about a different situation, but it applies to this situation. This is the quote he says. What soldier wouldn't charge straight into the fray of battle if he or she knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that he or she wouldn't be killed and would end up winning the battle? That's the difference this text makes in our war to be holy. This is the difference it makes. You can charge into battle. You can go and do it confidently because you know that Christ has already won the war on the cross and we're just living out his victory now. So friends, feel that confidence. Feel that confidence. And I know that quote makes it sound like we won't be wounded or killed when we do it. I wish I could promise that. I can't promise that physical harm won't happen to you when you serve Jesus. But I can promise that the good things that he planned for you to do, you will do them. Every person in this room 
will do things that will be worth reminiscing on in heaven. Saying, wow, look what the Lord did through you. And it won't be because of you. You won't be getting the credit because Jesus is the one doing it. But every one of you will have eternal significance forever, even in the most ordinary obediences you do right now. Because God planned for you to do them. Everyday obedience matters in eternity. Everyday obedience matters forever. I touched a little bit on this already, but I wanted to speak to what is the foundation of our obedience? What is the power? Like, how do we do it in a way that Jesus gets glory? Like, because I said, we don't want to pull it apart and say, oh, God saved me at the cross for my sins, but I do the good works now. So how is it that God is doing the good works through you? How is it that it's not you who's doing them, but God who's working through you? And the answer is the person of the Trinity that we often forget. We talk a lot about the Father. We talk a lot about the Son. But oftentimes we miss the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the person who's living within you. He's the person who's within you right now if you're trusting Jesus. And so when you're obeying, he's the one who's personally beside you, giving, within you, giving you the power to do that. And so as you do that, he's doing it with you, and you're not depending on your own strength. You know, before you s- believed in Jesus, back when you were with me, when we were stuck in our sin, our sin was like a dam. It was like holding back God's spirit from being with us. You were alone. You were cut off from what you needed to live. That dam is holding back God's spirit, which could come and give you light. And nothing you could do could break down that dam because that dam was your own sin. That dam was my own sin that was keeping me where I was at, keeping me separated from God. And then Jesus came. And when he died on the cross, one of the things he did is he breaks down that dam so that God's spirit can just come and be with me and fill me up. And that's why my life feels differently than it did before I met Jesus. Because that spirit that I was separate from has now become my friend, my companion, and lives within me. And that's where I'm getting the power to obey. And so when I'm obeying, I'm not thinking, wow, Ross, look at what you did. I'm thinking, thank you, Spirit of God, for this new way of feeling about this person that I didn't feel about them before. Thank you, Spirit of God, for the strength to say no to that thing I couldn't say no to. It's how it works. It's why the experience of a Christian changes when you meet God is because his Spirit comes upon you. And I think that that leaves us in a place where I need to give a warning. Like, I need to give a warning. And the warning is that if you say you follow Jesus, but you're not any different than you used to be, I think we need to ask the question, have, have you ever met Jesus? That's a healthy question to ask. Because if, if the Spirit comes upon you, the Holy Spirit of God, and, and, there's, and he changes how you live if you're in Jesus, and there isn't any change if you're just the exact same, has the Spirit really come? Like, has the Spirit really come? And the good news for you this morning is that He can if you trust Him. If you're in a place where your life hasn't changed at all, and you're wondering, like, have I, have I really repented? Have I really believed? Am I any different? And you turn to Him and believe right now? Just like I described, the Spirit will come upon you and help you and change you and transform you. And so, that point's an important truth that 
our good works that we do by the Spirit of God never earn us our relationship with God, but they always authenticate it and serve as the evidence of our relationship with God. And so the good works that you have aren't earning God's love. You can't earn it. But once you have God's love, God always shows you his, how his love for you by the way that you change. That's the beauty of that. And so, yes, we do good works as believers. Yes, we must. And yes, we feel the power to do it. But it's never to get God's love. It's only as an expression and as an overflow of our love, of his love for us. And I'm sure that some of you probably feel uncomfortable with that statement, maybe even a little crushed by that statement. Like, oh, man, if Ross only knew my life, that, I don't know if he'd think I was a Christian. Or I don't know, if, you know, like if he, God, if Ross only, or God, if God sees my life this way, and I'm saying, I'm not saying you have to be perfect. No Christian is perfect. I sin every single day. There's not a day go, that goes by that I do not sin. But the point I'm getting at is that I'm different. The point I'm getting at is that if you met me 10 years ago and talked to me today, I'm not quite the same person that I used to be. And so you might be like, oh no, I am so sinful. I did this again. Have I proved myself to be not a Christian? I say, wait. Wait, look. Look at the ways I have changed. Look at the ways God has transformed me. Look at the things he's already done. And just so you know, one of the best works you can do, one of the, the best evidences that you're in Christ is that you're trusting him, that you're believing in him. And so if you, I just encourage you, don't, if you're stuck in this place where you're doubting yourself, take your eyes off of yourself, put your eyes on Jesus, and then see how you change. Never try to start changing yourself without looking at Christ because you will be stuck as being the same person. That's how we change is we see Jesus. And so I want to read this quote for you. Um, there's a pastor named John Newton, and I think he captures the balance I'm trying to strike. This is the quote. I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. I am not what I hope to be in another world. But still, I am not what I used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. And have you felt that grace? Are you walking in that grace right now? Then you've experienced the power of God in your life. You've experienced a touch of God in your life. And he didn't just, get this, he didn't just plot and plan to rescue you before the foundation of the world. He did that. He plotted to save you before the foundation of the world. He also planned each and every day. And he appointed specific, specific good things for you to do that are just things for you to do. Not things for me to do. Things for you to do. Things that I could never do. Things to other people I will never meet. You think you're insignificant? You're wrong. If God planned, if God who created the universe planned to save you and planned every day of your life with good things that he wanted you to do, 
you are not insignificant. And you can never think that. You have good things that he planned for you to do. I just want to close quick with two applications. The first is, is that going back to the grace of God, that when we experience that grace, like when we experience that grace, we show that grace to other people. And I want to ask you today, who is it that you can show the grace of God to? Who is it that needs your forgiveness? No, I didn't say someone who deserves your forgiveness. I said someone who doesn't deserve your forgiveness. Someone who it wouldn't make sense for you to forgive. Because if you reflect back to the grace of God, it didn't make sense for God to save me. It, didn't, it wasn't fair for him to save me. Who could you forgive today? Who could you show grace to who doesn't deserve it? Who it doesn't make sense for you to give them grace? That's how, that's what it looks like to receive the grace of God. Another application I have for you is let's change what we dream about. I know athletes, professional athletes who prepare, prepare, prepare for the NBA Finals, or the Super Bowl. One thing they do is they visualize themselves winning the game, hitting that three-point shot, throwing that touchdown. I just want to encourage you, and this is something I want to do, is to visualize in the morning during your devos the good things you could possibly do that day. Visualize yourself doing them. Visualize yourself doing the things at work that God has prepared for you to do. Loving people, talking to people. Visualize yourself. If you don't know your neighbors, visualize yourself. What would it look like for me to meet my neighbors today so that it's on your mind when those opportunities come up? Visualize yourself forgiving people who you're having trouble for. What would it look like for me just to go and show this person grace? And then so that when that opportunity comes, you're ready to do it. I mean, just think about the world and how their imagination runs wild. Just imagining about sex, money, power, all these things that can just consume our thoughts. What if we were a community who dreamed about how we could love other people and love God? Like, <laughs> that's where our imaginations go. Like, how countercultural would that be? And think of the overflow if, if that was how we lived, if those were the things that we imagined. We'd be such a different place, such a transformed place. And oftentimes it starts in here. And so if God has planned, if he's prepared you for these things, start dreaming about it. Start dreaming about the things that he could do through you. So Jesus, Jesus showed us more grace than there is water in the ocean. And he prepared each one of you who are trusting in him like a pot, like his art project for beautiful, good works. Like, that's who this is about. It's about him. Everything is about him. And if, if, you're in a, if your relationship with him is working rightly, everything about you, everything about what you believe, everything about what you do will be like a big red arrow pointing to him. You'll just be pointing to him, pointing to him. That's the end of this. That's the point of this text, is that when God saves us by grace alone and then evidences that grace by good works, saves us by grace alone, but grace is never alone, that ends up 
and everything being about him and about his glory. So let's walk through our five questions that we ask every week. The context is, but God. We were walking one way. God came into our life. Now we walk another way. Who is God? God is the one who showed us grace, who showed us not, he didn't treat us according to what we deserved. He treated us according to what we needed. What has he done? He's rescued us, and now he's sent us on a journey, on an adventure with him. That's what good works are. They're an adventure with God. And what should we do? We should live like that. We should live like every day, like he's prepared good works for us by visualizing what that might look like and acting it out. So let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for your word and for revealing yourself through your word. Thank you for the grace of God. Thank you for showing it to us. I pray that we could be amazed every single day afresh that you would forgive sinners like us. And then I pray, Lord, that it would be amazing how our lives change when we walk in a relationship with you. That through the power of your Spirit, the good works that you've prepared for us to do would become evident each and every day in how we live, and that you would get all the glory for it. I pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, now I just want to invite you to a time of reflection. So just quiet your heart, bow your head, pray. Just ask God, what, what do you want me to walk away with from the sermon today? What do you want me to change? What, what, what needs to be different about me? Um, what did you say that encouraged me today? All these different things that, the, that God could have done in your heart. Just spend a few moments with him, enjoying him and listening to him.